Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. This week I received a polite letter from, if not a fan, then at least a regular listener who complained at some length about the quality of films being reviewed on this show recently. Not complaining about the quality of the reviews exactly, just the stuff being reviewed. A constant diet of Hollywood B-type movies was one of the kinder expressions. Headbangers peopled with grifters and violent misfits was another one. Well, it's hard to disagree in the case of Russell Crowe in Unhinged. I don't think you really know what a bad day is. But you're going to find out. The letter went on to suggest the only alternatives were British kitchen sink dramas full of poorly nourished no-hopers or ageing thespians heading into their dotage led by the ubiquitous Bill Nye. A bit sweeping, maybe, but I can't deny the letter writer makes some good points, with one exception. She seems to think I'm deliberately avoiding a lot of good stuff. I wish. We're like an addiction to each other with equal parts pleasure and pain. You hurt me and I can't forgive you. Tessa, I want another chance. I'll try, whatever it takes. On the contrary, I'm trying to avoid stuff like After We Collided, listed as the second chapter of the best-selling worldwide phenomenon continues. Since I clearly missed the first chapter, I think I might let what looks like the teen version of Fifty Shades of Grey continue without me. Pardon, Scott. I didn't peg you as a bad boy type. Let me ask you this. Are you in love with him? You're never going to trust me. Trust you? Where has that ever gotten me? But usually that sort of choice is a luxury. Right now, if it's on, I usually have to take it, and that means, I'm afraid, so do you. With all the -the top-of-the-line titles held up by COVID-19, we're looking at often lesser fare. Name? Bond. James Bond. So you're not dead? Hello, Q. I've missed you. It's the most valuable asset this country has. And by top of the line, I don't just mean the much-reviled blockbusters, James Bond, Wonder Woman, Peter Rabbit and the rest. I mean films that would have topped the bills at Cannes, Venice and Sundance in happier times. So, failing headliners, am I reduced to just what's on the table in the COVID-affected film world? I think he's even more charming off the stage than on, don't you? I'd no idea you were like this. You're wonderful. Everybody worships me. It's nauseating. So why don't I check out some of the other fair at some of the art houses, live theatre productions, ballet, art exhibitions and the like. But aside from their difficulty translating to radio, they're hardly films. And my brief, self-inflicted I admit, is to check the current health of movies in the year of a pandemic. It's not really working, is it? I'm going to leave. And this week that means a modest English film called Hope Gap, starring, you guessed it, Bill Nye, 
Another Kiwi farce starring popular comedian Thomas Sainsbury called Dead. No, I hadn't heard of it either. And first, what was the phrase? A headbanger peopled with violent misfits. Well, this time it's called Becky. Do you remember what happened? I'm sorry. Becky is based on two premises. The first is, if you've only got a low budget, make a horror film, or at least a violent Jeopardy movie, somewhere with minimal location fees. The second is Steal from the Best. I've never seen a film that wore its influences so openly. Hello, Becky. Better start running. That fat one, he's going to like me to... Need a head start or something. You didn't call anyone, sweetheart. I have your cell phone. So? Listing them all would take longer than we've got, so let me say there are bits of Die Hard, Carrie, The Panic Room, The First Terminator and Deliverance in the story of Becky versus the bad guys. But most of all, the memory it elicits is that Christmas comedy classic Home Alone. This is my house. I have to defend it. Well, we'll get to that in a minute, but first, meet Becky, a kid with problems. Her beloved mum has died and she and Dad aren't getting along. Dad decides that what they need is a weekend in a woodland cabin, along with his new girlfriend, Kayla, and her little boy, Ty. Nobody's paying attention to that ominous news on the radio. Search continues for four inmates who escaped federal custody this morning. Authorities say the men are armed and extremely dangerous. Come on, boy, let's go swimming. Let's oh, can you wait a sec? What is she doing here? You let her walk all over you. She's 13. Well, here's a tip. Don't go out in the woods when there are four dangerous convicts loose. But Becky has stomped off to the lake in a huff, so misses out on a visit from a mysterious stranger. Jeff, this gentleman lost his dog. Okay, well, why don't you give us your number? My dog is a Rottweiler. Purebred. Or as the Germans call them, Rottweiler Metzgerhund. It's Kevin James wearing the world's worst beard and covering up the swastika on his shaven head with a big hat he must have picked up on the way out of jail. He talks dogs with Dad and Kayla, but is obviously stalling. That's why you never let them mate with other breeds. You get the worst of both. Okay, I think it's time for you to go. Stay calm. Next thing you know, Kevin the Nazi is joined by three more escaped convicts and is holding the family at gunpoint, everyone but Becky. What do they want, we wonder? It turns out they're looking for a mysterious key and they're not leaving without it. I'm looking for a key. It has this symbol engraved on it. You seen it? No. Well, that leaves little Becky. Where's Becky? Wait, wait! Ah! All of this is a mere appetizer before the main meal. Becky may be a 13-year-old girl, but she's going to take on these guys, particularly after they start laying into her family. He's going to hold your dad still while I hurt him. I'm not going to let them get away with this.
Becky starts setting up a number of stunts to take out the bad guys, like Home Alone blended with Rambo. And the tone gets darker and more violent, with Becky evolving from cute kid to Halloween nightmare. When Kevin McAllister took on two inept burglars in Home Alone, the ingenuity of the stunts took a lot of the curse off the violence. It was cartoon mayhem, like Bugs Bunny. This is, well, as the poet Longfellow puts it, horrid. When she was a little girl, Becky. when she was good, Stop running. she was very, very good. And when she was bad, hey! she was horrid. Becky is by no means the first violent moppet on the screen, of course. Apart from the famous 1950s shocker The Bad Seed, there was Carrie in the 70s, and more recently the foul-mouthed hit girl and the comedy Kick-Ass. So why do I defend them, well, some of them, when I find myself dismissing Becky? What was the point of all of this? For a kid? It's worth much more than that. It might have been better if it hadn't been so unrelentingly stupid. Kevin James made his name in lunk-headed comedies like Paul Blart, Mall Cop, and the tastelessly unfunny I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry with Adam Sandler. He's clearly welcomed the chance to display his range. The problem is, he hasn't got any. I need you to tell Becky to come back. Becky is a strong-willed and vindictive as they come. So good luck. He remains Kevin James in a stupid beard, and his character, the alleged neo-Nazi mastermind, keeps tripping over the mat too. He's only marginally less stupid than his backup stooges, and by the end, we're more scared of 13-year-old Becky than we are of him, swastika or no swastika. Becky! You're clearly a special girl! I don't want to have to hurt you. But I do want to hurt you real bad. Hope Gap is the directorial debut of playwright and screenwriter William Nicholson. He arrived in the 1980s with a touching TV drama called Shadowlands, later a movie starring Anthony Hopkins as Narnia's C.S. Lewis in Love. Since then, Nicholson's been a writer for hire on films like Gladiator, Les Miserables and Everest. But Hope Gap started out as his own Tony-nominated play called The Retreat from Moscow. Does Jamie know? Some of it. I told him at breakfast. You told Jamie? I know this is all a shock, but I do truly believe you'll come to see it's for the best. Well, neither the titles Hope Gap nor Retreat from Moscow are to be taken literally, though. They're both rather tortuous metaphors for the dying relationship of Grace and Edward, as seen through the eyes of their 20-something son, Jamie. Hello, stranger. Hello, Mum. Hello, stranger. <laughs> Hello, Mum. Sometimes I think we don't really talk. What do you mean, talk? You know, talk the way people do. You can't complain about the quality of the cast, even if none of them is exactly stretched. Front and centre is Grace, played with all the stops out by Annette Benning. 
She spends most of the first act being annoying and then feeling aggrieved when people are annoyed. Her defence is she's trying to get a response, particularly from her bland and withdrawn husband, Edward. I can't bear to think you're unhappy, Jamie. I'm fine. Fine isn't the same as happy. No, we're happy, aren't we, Edward? Yes, we're fine. Edward is essentially every Bill Nye character you've seen in the past ten years, but without the jokes. And since Bill Nye's saving grace is he's often very funny, what we're left with here is just the brooding glumness. Look, Edward, you can't just walk away after 29 years. You have to try. I have tried for 29 years. No. And playing their son Jamie as a sort of younger version of the Bill Nye character is Josh O'Connor, so good in TV series The Crown as a slightly flattering portrait of the young Prince Charles. If Edward is Bill Nye without the fun, Jamie is Prince Charles without the fortune. I think the truth is we're different kinds of people. If I had to blame you for anything, it would be letting you think that you were happy. Since the two men are largely defined by what they don't have, that leaves us with Grace, who almost defies Annette Benning to make something sympathetic out of her. When Edward finally announces he's leaving, Grace refuses to accept it. You think maybe you'll walk back through that door? It really could happen. Mum, he's in love! Your life hurts you so much, I won't stop you. This has nothing to do with me, this is your problem. On a good day, with a good script and a good director, Annette Benning can be a glorious force of nature. I don't know how good the script of Hope Gap was when it was a play, but now it seems to be a bunch of repetitive scenes held together by a voiceover narrative from Josh O'Connor. His name is Edward. Stay, Edward. Stay. <clears throat> Forgive me for needing you to be strong forever. Forgive me for fearing your unhappiness. I'm not one of those purists who criticise voiceover narrative as somehow uncinematic, but a bad example is when it keeps telling you something you've seen no other evidence for. I have been here before. The sighing sound. You have been mine before. We're told Grace is a poetry fan, compiling a collection for her own amusement. She's also a devout Catholic, which allows us to see why her reaction to Edward's decision to leave is so rigid. But no amount of telling can get us past the fact that William Nicholson, the director, is doing no favours to the work of William Nicholson, the writer. There's a good boy. Let's show him your new trick. Die, Edward, die. Oh, Oh, fair, isn't he clever? <laughs> Wouldn't it be something if I could get the real Edward to do that? Not make him die. Well, roll about on the ground a bit. A play forgives, in fact, often requires a certain amount of rather leaden explanation. But a film needs to be lighter on its feet and give us some better reasons to sympathise with three emotionally cut-off characters than simply being told to. I mean, what gave you the right? That's enough. I thought... There were three unhappy people, and now there's only one.
I couldn't warm to either Bill Nye or Annette Benning this time, to my surprise. I usually admire both of them in most things. Josh O'Connor was better, possibly because his character was clearly close to Nicholson himself. The story of Hope Gap seems to have been based on the relationship of his parents. As you suffer, so I shall suffer. Hold my hands and walk the old walk. One last time. But in the end, the fault lies with the film direction. William Nicholson, like many writers, isn't a natural filmmaker, and he fails in that time-honoured instruction to a novice film director everywhere. Take out anything that sounds like writing and cut out anything that looks like acting. If we get a divorce, I get less than if he died. Oh, yes. So it would be better for me if you were dead. We seem to be right in the middle of a new wave of Kiwi film comedy. I'm not saying they're all timeless classics, or any of them necessarily, but at least it makes a change from the frequent complaints about many of our films in the past. You know, the over-serious cinema of unease thing. The latest is an ultra-low-budget romp called Dead. Dead is the work of two popular figures in film and comedy here. Thomas Sainsbury is a prolific performer, playwright and Snapchat satirist. And Hayden J. Wheel is a frequent entrant in the 48-hour film challenge. So successful, in fact, that he's giving out tips on YouTube. Always write bigger and more than you think you can achieve. It's better to cut back later on the shoot or on the cut rather than set out to make something mediocre. Don't worry if you wake up on the Saturday morning and the script is bad, because you can make it great with the execution. And it's these tips that Wheel and Sainsbury have applied to Dead, essentially a 48-hour film writ large with a slightly larger budget. And from the start, it's clear the pair are good at making a very little go a long way. Don't be afraid to look stupid when you're shooting, OK? Because when it's cut and you've got music and sound in there, it works. Limit your coverage. It's best to use your shooting time making the film and story feel big rather than doing ten takes of one person's close-up. It opens with a policeman, Jason Tagg, played by Wheel himself, waking up to discover he is, in fact, dead. Dead and in his undies, which is how he remains for the rest of the film. I woke up in a barn. Then I realised I was... Dead. Cut to a lovable slacker nicknamed Marbles, Thomas Sainsbury, who has an extraordinary talent. He sees dead people, or rather ghosts, and acts as a conduit between the unhappy deceased and those they've left behind. Neurological medication in. Oh, this what makes talking with ghosts possible. A useful person for the late officer Tag to make contact with if he's going to solve his own murder, in other words. Tag finds Marbles hard at work acting as a sort of human Ouija board and presses him into service. You can see me. What happened, man? Murdered. That's a bumhole. <laughs> I need your help. I'm going to hunt the man responsible for my death and take him down. Well, one thing you've got to give dead is it looks and sounds terrific. The budget may be tiny, but director Hayden Wheel has managed to put together a very experienced crew. He's also charmed an impressive cast, including celebrity couple Jennifer Ward-Leland and Michael Hurst as Marble's parents, one living, one dead. What would you give to have him back again? I didn't even make it in time to say goodbye. 
Listen, son, there are two feelings in this world that are completely useless, and one of them is regret. The script advances in the standard 48-hour film manner, at a cracking pace without looking back. It transpires Tag is not the only recently dead. Prior to him, there were half a dozen others, all linked to a certain gay nightclub. I've done a little rendition. So have you seen this guy around here? He's about 5 foot 10, um, he's a hood. That's not a mouse, that is a bandana around his mouth. And because we need some women characters, each of our heroes is given one. Tag has a sister, Yana, who finds herself strangely drawn to marbles. And Marbles has a past, an even stranger ex-girlfriend who mysteriously vanished to reappear if required later in the story. I'm finishing this. No tag. Come on, man. With or without you. You're seeing this through. I'm seeing this through. Mm. It's a story that goes in several directions, sometimes at once. Coincidentally or not, everyone spends a lot of time ingesting booze and drugs. And there are more than a few nods to the films of horror director-comedian Jordan Peele before it's over. Let's get to work. Marbles! Marbles. I'm here for marbles. The good things about Dead are it's well executed and many of the performances are rather good, even strangely moving at times. But it does get a bit exhausting if you're not in the mood and feels rather longer than its modest 90-minute length. You can do this, You're looking so buff, your body. You can look amazing at your funeral. Unlike a 48-hour film challenge, it doesn't have an automatic audience. Despite the celebrity cast and some good jokes, Dead is a film that needs a decent-sized audience with a few drinks in it for it to work properly. And that's the trouble with low-budget filmmaking. Making the film is only half the job. A little film needs publicity just as much as a multi-million dollar big one, maybe even more. Who are you? I'm Dave Marbeck, and I can communicate with ghosts. I mean, I'm no Bradley And if you've spent all your budget on the film, that leaves nothing over for promotion. You can lead a horse to water, of course, but that said, you can't get a horse to drink anything until you have led it to water, often at some expense. Well, as we ride this show slowly into the West, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend that I don't, right? Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.